Hello, you spooky ghouls and ghosts, and welcome to the Halloween edition of the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I'm your host, James Timberlake. Are we going to do anything special in this Halloween version of the episode, you may be asking yourself, and the answer is no. No, not really. I didn't really plan any Halloween stuff because it's not really good for audio, to be honest with you, obviously. Um... I can give you my favorite Halloween or Halloween movies of all time. My favorite spooky movie, I guess, of all time. My favorite scary movie of all time is probably Blair Witch Project. Probably the Blair Witch Project. I remember that ha- that movie, and I've seen it a couple times since the first time I watched it, obviously. Um, but I remember the first time watching that movie had a very like substantial effect on me. Like I think from that point on, from watching that movie, POV movies or handheld camera movies like that really kind of scare me more than most. Another example is like paranormal activity. That movie scares me a lot, even though it probably doesn't scare a lot of other people. A lot of the movies in that it falls off, you know, greatly the third one, the fourth one, all of the extra ones are pretty bad, but the first and second one are still pretty spooky to me. Um, so yeah, paranormal, Act- or uh, not paranormal activity, excuse me, Blair Witch, uh, Blair Witch project project is probably my favorite spooky movie. Uh, or the one that's, you know, I can remember being as spooked as ever, if you will. Um, watching that movie, but you know, there's a lot of really good n- newer horror movies that have come out recently. I mean, hereditary is up there with one of the great horror movies of all time. I would argue, um, get out. has been very good. Basically anything from Jordan Peele recently has been very good. Um, it's, we've kind of been in like a horror movie renaissance to be honest with you. And I know this is the sports program. This is the sports podcast. I apologize. I'm hitting you with horror movies, but it's Halloween and I feel like I have to do a little something for Halloween. So, uh, yeah, we're, it's just, you know, we're in a, we're in a weird, uh, Halloween or scary movie kind of renaissance right now. Guys like Ari Aster, Jordan Peele, like I said, um, the guy that directed the witch also the lighthouse whose name I cannot remember. Robert Eggers, that's his name. Um, so a lot of good directors doing horror movies right now and very smart horror movies coming out recently that I really appreciate. There was like a time um, in the early 2010s and into the mid 2000s. It was pretty bleak when it came to horror movies. There were a lot of really bad um, slasher jump scare movie, uh, jump scare horror movies that were just there to, um, you know, they, they give you the jump scare with the loud music. And that was basically the extent of the scares in those movies. But now we're getting a lot of deep cut stuff. Um, that really, I think, spooks you because you're scared of the, I guess, the message that it's trying to give you, you know, if that makes sense, the realities of what's actually happening in the scary movie, which I appreciate. I think a lot, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of really good horror movies coming out and a lot of really good horror directors that are willing to take a lot of risks because horror movies are not something that are easy to I think create or sell to a massive audience. There's not a lot of people that enjoy um, you know, just going to a theater to watch a horror movie. There are a ton of people that do enjoy that, do enjoy that, but it's, you know, fewer and far between than like a typical action movie or something like that. It's a harder sell to studios and, um, just directors in general to try to do that because one, it has to be good or it's kind of just, you know, people forget about it or it becomes one of those things where it's, um, so bad that it's good. But for the most part, they're just bad in general. Um, but right now we were kind of having a renaissance with it, with a lot of the horror movies. And I appreciate that. It's good to see horror really coming back and having a moment, if you will, in the limelight or of, of, uh, of movie making. So yeah, uh, my favorite, my favorite horror movie, probably, probably the Blair Witch Project. I will listen. I love, I love hereditary. That's probably up there as well. It's a very spooky movie. Um, and it's, it's a lot of, it's just, um, there's a lot of things that hit you in that movie. That's more than just horror. 
Um, it doesn't, I, I wouldn't say it doesn't get really scary until like the la- the third act of that film. Uh, but the rest of it just emotionally really hurt. It like hits you. Like they will hit you with a lot of stuff emotionally in that movie. And then they'll, they'll scare the hell out of you in the movie. It's a really, really good film. So I would highly recommend watching that get out. Obviously a very good movie as well. Uh, us, I liked us. I think more than a lot of people liked us. I, I really enjoyed us when I went and saw it in theaters. I've only seen it once, but I remember really enjoying that film when it came out. Uh, the other Jordan Peele, um, movie after get out and then Nope as well. I actually, I like Nope as well. Um, it was probably the weakest of those three movies, but I really enjoyed Nope as well. Um, anyways, happy Halloween. Let me know what your favorite scary movies are. There's plenty of older scary movies as well that are very good. The Exorcist, I just watched that recently. Fantastic movie. Still uh, holds up to this day because a lot of the prosthetic stuff that they do in that movie is very interesting and very uh, unique. The Thing as well, of course, uh, along those same lines, very uh, very good with their prosthetics and didn't use any sort of CG or anything like that in that movie. It's all prosthetic stuff. It's still very spooky. Um, even the poltergeist, I just watched that recently. That's a very good horror movie as well. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot of classics as well that I wouldn't pass up on saying that those are, uh, there should be a top 10 horror list that, uh, wouldn't be surprised to see those on there as well. Um, let's talk sports though, huh? You want to talk sports? I just want to, just getting the day off started with a little Halloween talk, a little spooky movie talk. I'm a big, big movie guy. So you know, I love to talk movies and if I get a chance, I'd like to talk movies whenever I can. So if that comes up on the sports podcast, then you know what? It comes up on the sports podcast and that's just how it works sometimes, whatever. Um, but we're going to talk sports now. Let's talk some sports. Let's start with, I just want to, I just want to start with saying, I hope you guys had a good weekend. I had a kind of a rough weekend. I'll be honest with you, Kansas, Oklahoma. That was a really good game. I'm an Oklahoma fan though. So it hurt, you know, that, that hurt. But honestly, I was happy for Kansas because Kansas, that's a team that has gone through, uh, some crazy ups and downs. It, it would probably, if you're not, don't follow college football, like, you know, very hard or super in tune with college football, maybe just got into college football within the last five to seven years or something like that. Would it blow your mind if I told you that that Kansas football, uh, Kansas football in general was competing uh, for a national championship in the 2007 season. Would that blow your mind? Because it's true. They were the second-ranked team getting towards the end of the season. They got upset. I can't remember who it was by, but they got upset. Um, that was Mark Mangino's squad. They were a very good football team. I don't want to say program because it was kind of a it was a hot run there for about four to five years because um, it, it's, it's got a very long history of not being very good either. But there was a, there was a run there in the mid-2000s, but they were a very good football program uh, with Mark Mangino with the helm. And then Mangino left and uh, kind of sputtered out of control again and kind of Kansas kind of became the laughing stock again. But um, let me say, I mean, Lance Leopold, he's got those boys playing good. I am very impressed with um, how well they played and just kind of how dif- disciplined they played. That was a very good team. He was able to keep a lot of those pieces together, even though they were a, uh, you know, in the, in the era of the transfer portal that we have now, it's hard to really keep those teams like that together, which are overachieving teams. Um, you know, that are maybe lower in terms of pedigree, um, but, you know, end up actually, you know, outperforming what they expect. And then, you know, a lot of those teams will end up um, having their teams leave or what have you, or they, excuse me, those teams, their, their players leave for uh, better, better, uh, better teams down the line. So, but that's, that hasn't really been the problem with Lance Leopold. He's been able to keep that team together. Um, he's, you know, in his third year at Kansas and there's been improvement year after year from 2020 when they had less miles, which that less miles signing was very head scratching at the time when they signed him on as head coach, because that just kind of felt like uh, taking him out to pasture, if you will. 
Um, and that's basically what it was. He ended his final year in 2020, 0-9. Lance Leopold comes in, I believe, from Buffalo, if I remember correctly. Um, goes 2-10 and 10 that next year, which, of course, you know, wasn't expecting a huge improvement there. But then goes 6-7 and seven in 2022. And now he's off to a 6-2 and two start in 2023. So seeing, you know, year after year improvement at Kansas is a very cool thing to see. I want to see that team be good because, again, they have not been a very good football program for... I mean, it comes in waves, obviously, but for the most part, they've been kind of a joke of a football program for a long time. Their, you know, in-state rival was kind of the laughing stock of college football for a very long time in Kansas State. Uh, and then uh, Bill Snyder got there and he turned that program around, really became a solid Midwestern blue blood of a, of a school for football anyways. And uh, Kansas really has not had that moment yet where they had that coach that really turned them around, Mike Mangino, you can argue Glenn Mason had them good for a while in the mid nineties. Um, but more, most recently Mark Mangino, um, when he went 12 and one in 2007, if you can believe that. Um, but you know, they haven't had that long-term guy that really was able to turn that program around in a long amount of time, really. So it, it, I, I'm hoping that could be Lance, Lance Leopold, somebody like that, because that's a team and a program that kind of deserves it. They have good fans. I mean, you go watch Kansas basketball. They're sold out every single night. I wouldn't be, uh, I, I would be stunned to see if they ended up getting better. I mean, you could watch the game just this past week and they had a sold out crowd. They had a little issue with the weather delay. That was like an hour long. So uh, some of the fans left after that, obviously, which you don't blame them there, but um, you know, you, you see the crowd that they had beforehand and then the basketball games, I would be stunned to see that that crowd wouldn't be able to support uh, their football program in Lawrence, Kansas. And it'd be very cool to see that um, kind of transpire because, you know, they deserve it. They've been kind of uh, ever since Kansas state came up, they've kind of been the laughing stock of uh, basically F the division one football because they've been in it for so long. It's not a team that really that that came from FCS and then started playing in FBS and just has never really gotten their footing. They've been in division one football since, you know, the twenties essentially. So, um, and they've just never, I mean, they're, they're, like I said, there's been spurts here and there. Um, but for the most part, they've never really been a very good football program. So I want to see them turn it around. It'd be very cool. Um, to see a good Kansas football team, a consistently good Kansas football team, just for the sake of parody. Um, but, you know, Lance Leopold, I think Lance Leopold is a guy that will be able to do it. And uh, who knows, maybe even a couple of years down the line, who knows, maybe they're competing, even this year, even competing for a Big 12 championship. That would be very, very, I don't think they've ever won a Big 12 championship. Now, they, apparently, according to sports reference, they won five conference championships. I don't know when the most recent one was, but according to sports reference, they won a conference champ. They won five conference championships. So, uh, anyways. Yeah, that was cool. That was a cool game. It was tough for me because I'm an Oklahoma fan. I don't like to be that guy. You know, I don't, I, I, I love for them to win. Just, you know, maybe not against us, you know, that you know, maybe do it against somebody else. Um, but it is cool. I, I mean, I, I always like seeing underdogs winning just in general because it's always fun. I mean, underdogs winning is the great thing about sports. Having underdog victories is uh, one of the great things that makes sports so much fun to watch. Um, and uh, yeah, that was just a, a fun game overall to watch. And it was a good game too. It wasn't like it was, I wouldn't even it wasn't fluky by any means. They basically outplayed Oklahoma that entire game. Um, I would say for the most part, especially uh, on the, on the ground running the football and even defensively at times they outplayed Oklahoma. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's cool. We'll see if Kansas can, you know, keep it going. If they can hold on to Lance Leopold, who knows where they'll be. I mean, I think that's going to be a very good football team for years to come. Maybe Lance Leopold could be their, uh, their, uh, Dan Snyder or Dan Snyder. I'm no, not, not Dan Snyder. Sorry. Bill Snyder. Absolutely not Dan Snyder. Um, okay. 
let's move on here. That that by the way, that I'm gonna spoil it right now. That's the actual good game of the week. Oklahoma losing to Kansas. It was a really fun game to watch. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of really good football, to be honest with you, college football anyways, that was going on over the weekend in terms of close matchups or close games. Um, and Kansas beating Oklahoma was by far, in my opinion, the most fun to watch. USC Cal was pretty cool. Um, but I think Kansas, Oklahoma was the actual best game to watch this weekend. Um, we're starting to see teams, the best teams in college football, just start to separate themselves. It feels like at this point, um, Georgia is finally starting to kind of wake up a little bit and playing what we'd expect from Georgia. Basically since that Auburn game, which was kept pretty close by a kind of a bad Auburn team, Georgia has blown everybody out. I mean, they beat the the snot out of Kentucky when they were at home 51 to 13. They beat up on Vanderbilt 37 to 20. And then they just played Florida in the, the uh, world's biggest cocktail party. I think is what they, I don't know if they still call it that anymore, but I mean, that's the, I mean, that's the name. Uh, they, I mean, they beat the snout out of Florida there as well. So they're kind of finding form towards the end of the season, which is kind of, I think what everybody expected, um, from this Georgia team, they were going to, they started a little bit slow, but I don't think anybody really had any doubt that this team with the talent level that they have, uh, wasn't going to be able to find their footing, uh, especially with what we've seen from Kirby smart and how he's coached a lot of those players over the last few years. Um, and with the talent acquisition that he's had over the past few years as well, there was no doubting. I don't think anybody had any, um, real doubt anyways, that, um, that they weren't going to find their footing. There could still be a slip up here and there. They, they go, um, excuse me. They play at home against Missouri over the next week. Um, and then they're at home against Ole Miss and then at Tennessee, that at Tennessee game could be interesting because that's a very difficult place to play as well. But those three, those are three ranked games in a row. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be stunned to see them slip up there either, but again, I mean, to see them go three, and zero there, and then close out the, the season at Georgia tech with a win there, see them undefeated again, heading into the sec championship wouldn't blow my mind either. So, uh, Georgia, it looks like are finally rounding into form. Florida state is another team that looks like they're kind of shoring things up a little bit more as well. After that, uh, that Clemson game where kind of, we were all kind of like, is this the, it was basically Boston college Clemson back to back. We were kind of like, is this Florida state team for real? Are they being, are they being serious? And then they kind of went on a roll, beat up on Virginia tech, destroyed Syracuse, had a little, a tough first half versus Duke, but then started to pull away in the second half and then beat up on wake forest this past weekend. And they have a pretty easy schedule at the end of the year, um, at Pitt versus Miami, which is always a difficult game just because of rivalry sakes. And they have a non-major North, North Alabama game. And then at Florida, which again, rivalry game is there, uh, there as well. So who knows on that, on that end, what could happen there? But um, they've looked basically better every single week since the Boston College and Clemson back-to-back games. Ever since then, they've looked very solid. Granted, not the most difficult of schedules other than Duke. Duke's been pretty solid um, this year, ranked team, obviously. But um, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Wake Forest, not the toughest of competition outside of that. And they beat Duke pretty handily, especially in that second half of that game. So they're starting, I think, in my opinion, to pull away a little bit. Another one um, that I think is pulling a little bit more um, Oregon, which they just lost to Washington. Washington, I've had more concerns than Oregon since that game against Washington. Uh, Oregon's looked very good. I mean, uh, basically, they've looked like they've been on a mission. They they dominated um, Utah this past weekend, which was, I think, very disappointing. At least that game was very disappointing for a lot of people, or maybe eye-opening if you're uh, just seeing Oregon for the first time, which I can't believe that would be the first time you're watching Oregon, given that Washington game that we just had. Um, but if it was, that had to be very eye-opening, given Utah just upset USC. Um, and then seeing Oregon just beat up on Utah was probably a little surprising, but I mean, they dominated that won that game handily. Like no, 35 to six game was over by 
basically the beginning of the second quarter. So that team is starting to pull away a little bit, in my opinion, and they've looked a lot better since that Washington game than Washington has. Washington's really started to slip up a little bit, in my opinion, and maybe, I don't want to say take their foot off the gas, but they're uh, just not playing as well, obviously. Um, had a, that close game against Arizona State and then uh, two weekends ago, and then um, most recently they took on uh, they took on uh, Stanford, and that one was pretty close all the way up until like two minutes left in the fourth quarter. It took like a, a touchdown with a minute and a half to go in the fourth quarter for Washington to really feel like they put that one away. But Stanford hung with Washington that entire game. It was basically a one-score game uh, from the end of the first quarter on. So um, Washington, I'm a little concerned about, but the Ducks have looked, I mean, since that game, since that Washington game, have looked very, very good. Um, and like I said, the good teams are really starting to show that they're the good teams, uh, especially with the conference schedules because the conference games always get weird Anybody can lose a conference game on a Saturday in October or November. That's just college football for you. Um, and to see some of those teams start to really blow out other teams, that's when you can kind of start to see the good teams really pull away um, and become the favorites to make the playoff, if you will. Um, by the way, speaking of the playoff, I think we get the college football playoff rankings tonight for the first time, the 31st Tuesday. Um, and it's Tuesday every week after, essentially. Uh, I'm curious to see what the committee does with air force because air force has at the very least, they have two very easy next couple of weeks. They're undefeated right now. They're 17th in the AP poll. Um, they have army coming up, which is a neutral site game. That's always, a, you know, as uh, armed forces teams, those are always interesting games. Um, and then they're at Hawaii after that, which those are two should be very easily won games by air force. They both uh, army and Hawaii both only have two wins on the season. Then they have a couple Difficult games at the end of the season. UNLV at home. That's a pretty decent UNLV team that could cause them some problems, Air Force some problems. And then on the road at Boise State, which playing in Boise State always seems to be very difficult for teams that travel to Boise State. Obviously, playing on the blue field is no easy matter. Ask Wyoming. Um, but if, if Air Force wins out and they go undefeated, go into the Mountain West Championship game, win the Mountain West Championship, I don't even know who it would be against at that point. It would probably be Fresno State or UNLV, I would imagine. Um, but if they go in, win that game and win the uh, win out and then win the Mountain, Mountain West uh, Conference Championship game, I'm curious to see what the committee does with the Air Force Falcons. They'd be undefeated. They're not the prettiest team to watch by any means, obviously. I'm not one to say that they are, um, but they have a very stout defense. Granted, I, I, their offense helps them a little bit on their defense because they love to hold the ball forever. So it kind of, it, you know, decreases the amount of offensive snaps that offenses will play against them. Um, so that helps their, their, uh, their, uh, their defensive output, at least statistically. Um, but they don't have a good strength of schedule. Obviously they're, I think they're, uh, 121st in terms of strength of schedule. Um, but at this point, like I, I would be questioning, I would like, we created the playoff to create more parity for situations like these. If air force goes undefeated, why wouldn't they deserve a spot in the college football playoff? If you're because if you look at the top 25 right now, um, the AP top 25 right now, Georgia leading the way, obviously they still have a tough road to go. And then not to mention they might have to play if they make it all the way to the SEC championship game, they'll probably have to play Alabama, which by the way, as much as we were writing on me included writing off Alabama at the end of the year, they are in the driver's seat to get back to the SEC championship and possibly beat that Georgia team. Uh, or have a shot at beating that Georgia team. So, um, but anyways, for the rest of the AP top 25, at least the top four, Michigan, Ohio state, they're going to play one another. 
Um, and if it's like, you know, how, how it was, I guess, what was that two years ago, one year ago, um, if one beats the other and it's a close game, then they'll drop basically two spots. But if air force is undefeated to this point, and I think Michigan, Ohio state's in two or three weeks, three or four weeks, something like that. Um, and you're comparing, you know, you're, you're going to have to do transitive properties for a lot of these situations because Ohio state would have a loss against Michigan or a win against Michigan. And then Michigan would have a loss against Ohio state or a win against Ohio state. And that's a tough transitive property to try to get over if you're a force. But the point of the college football playoff was to have this parity. Um, and granted, these aren't the rankings that the college football playoff committee has come out with. Obviously that doesn't happen until later tonight. Um, but if we wanted more parity with the college football playoff than we did with the BCS, this would be a perfect time to show that, I guess. Um, because Air Force, as an 8-0 team, granted, strength of schedule does count for something. Not denying that whatsoever. I think they will be in good position towards the end of the year if they go on and beat Boise State handily or beat UNLV handily um, and then go on to win the Mountain West Championship handily. I you know, who's going to say keeping them out of the college football playoff. Um, but I mean, we've seen it before. UCF was a big problem with this because they were an exact same scenario group of five school went undefeated in the regular season, then played in the uh, sugar bowl. If I remember correctly, and then beat Auburn, finished the season undefeated. They claimed themselves the champions, which, you know, they weren't, but I understand the frustration with that because that was the entire point of creating the playoff in the first place. We wouldn't just get the top two teams. We'd have some sort of, parity between one through four. Uh, but if it's going to continue to be just the typical names that you see one through four every season, then we have the same problem that we had before with the BCS. We might as well just go back to having the top two schools because it's doing the same thing. Um, granted there is parity in the actual playoff, but we want more parity leading into the playoff. You know, we want more schools in the actual playoff itself. And granted, this is all going to fix itself. In my opinion, once we get the 12 team playoff, Air Force, if there was a 12-team playoff, would absolutely have to be in that. And 100% as an undefeated team would have to make that um, make that into uh, making make the the playoff uh, as the, the one of the 12 teams in the playoff. Once that eventually comes around, um, granted, it gets a little more fuzzy the further you go down. Like James Madison is undefeated as well. Would they be able to make it into the 12-team playoff? And if they don't, then we're back to square one, exactly where we were before, because they're an undefeated team. They've played well enough to at least deserve a spot in the AP poll. Um, who's to say they don't deserve a spot as a um, playoff team with 12 teams. Now, granted right now, if I were a committee member, I would probably be alone in saying at least right now, I would be alone in saying air force deserves to have one of those four spots because you know, there are five other undefeated teams in the top 25 or in the top five right now. And I'm not going to put air force above Washington or Florida state or Ohio state or Michigan or Georgia, because I mean, strength, of schedule cast for something granted, Michigan hasn't played a lot of other schools, but I would argue that Michigan has looked more complete and against better schools than air force has looked so far. Um, but, uh, once we get later into the season, I think there is something to be said about, um, where they deserve to be and what the committee is going to have to do with that situation. It's going to make their, their decision-making very difficult because, uh, you know, and it's hard to leave out an undefeated team with, you know, granted, not a great strength of schedule, but two, I would say fine. The final two weeks, two very solid wins on the road at Boise state and then versus UNLV. Granted, this is all hypothetical because who knows if they went out anyways. Um, but if they do win out, then it'll be interesting to see, where the committee actually ends up putting them. And if maybe we get air force 
in the college football playoff. That'd be really cool. That'd be cool to see just for the parody sake of it. Even if they get blown out by Georgia as the four seed um, and Georgia is the one seed, if they just get blown out. At least Air Force fans got to say they went to the college football playoff. That's more than what 115 other schools have ever gotten to say or 117 other schools have ever gotten to say probably. So um, yeah, it'd be really cool to see um, really quickly. Poo-poo garbage game of the week time. Let's talk some poo-poo garbage game of the week. Uh, it's going to be a quick one because it's kind of not the best pick in the world. Um, there wasn't a lot of bad football. There also wasn't a lot of great football either, but there wasn't a lot of really stinker, big time, really bad football. Um, but my pick for the poo-poo garbage, no good game of the week was Oregon versus Utah. Um, Utah coming off of a big win against USC. I thought they were going to put up a better fight than they did. I think losing cam rising for the entire season really kind of put a damper. I don't think he was expected to play in this game anyways, but it kind of put a damper in the rest of, I think that squad in general, and then having to travel to Oregon and play against a very, very good Oregon team, uh, I think was, um, difficult. And after the week that, that they had against USC. I think uh, there were people that were confident that Utah could go into Oregon, maybe do the same thing. Uh, but this is a much better Oregon team and Utah just kind of looked like they fell flat on their heels once they got there. Basically since the, once the beginning of the second quarter happened and Oregon got that third score and it was over. So uh, there was no scoring in the second half, you know um, it just wasn't a very good game overall. Um, and I think given the expectations, it being a top 15 matchup in the country uh, was very disappointing with what uh, we end up getting, or end up get, ended ended up getting. Jesus, I can't talk. Ended up getting on the actual with the actual product on the field. Um, it was pretty disappointing in my opinion. So that, that was my poo poo garbage. No good game of the week. And by the way, Bryson Barnes, he had a very n- not great game after a pretty solid game against USC. Led them down the field. Ended up putting them in field goal position to kick the game winning field goal. Uh, but then in this game, Oregon against Oregon. 15 for 29, only 136 yards. He gave up two picks as well. He was pretty bad, to be honest with you, um, at the quarterback position. But again, tough position. I mean, having to play. I guess they didn't. They didn't travel to. They didn't travel to Oregon. What did I say that? No, they were at home. I don't know why I said they traveled to, uh, to Oregon. Excuse me. Um, but still, I mean, Oregon's a, a top, in my opinion, a top five team in this country. So, um, yeah, anyways, yeah, that that was that was my poo poo garbage no good game of the week. I do want to talk about a prediction this week. Poo poo garbage no good game of the week. Um, I didn't have one last week. I just kind of forgot about it, to be honest with you, to make a prediction. But this one's easy. This one this week is easy. Um, I, I don't even want to preface it because I've been saying it all year. Um, they've been ruining uh, my entire this entire this entire part of the show. It's Iowa, Iowa versus Northwestern, and um, this the over under line at this game for this game. The total score over under for this game started it opened at a record setting 29 and a half points 29 and a half points was the opening line for this game unbelievable i believe it's at 30 and a half now um but i mean oh it's actually at 31 and a half wow how about that a little confidence for iowa offense that's impressive and northwestern offense i'm surprised by that 31 and a half i'm hitting the under on that that's what it's at 17 what 15 so it'd be 16, I guess 17 to 15 would be a final score or whatever. That'd be like the lowest you can go or whatever. I don't know. Um, I mean, that, that feels like an under though, to be honest with you, 10 to seven would be a not surprising score in this game. Uh, but this is going to be my poo poo garbage. No good game of the week prediction. Brian Ferentz is officially, he's not out right now, but he's going to be out at the end of the season. So Iowa fans are rejoicing. Uh, very happy about that. Obviously Iowa has, I can't believe I'm going to say this. 
they have the product to be able to compete for the Big Ten. They really do, uh, especially defensively. Like they are very, very good defensively. Honestly, underrated because of how bad their offense is. The defense kind of gets underrated a lot of the season. Um, but I mean, they're good. Like their defense is very good. If they just had a competent offense, like a, not even a top ten or anything like that, a top forty offense. They could probably compete for the Big Ten, even a playoff position if they wanted to. Um, but they just haven't had that over the past basically four to five years. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what direction they go in, uh, who they hire as offensive coordinator. Because it is, I mean, it's a decent job, obviously. I mean, you could basically do everything poorly and you'll be able to keep your job for a long time. Look at Brian Ferentz. He was able to keep his job for, I don't even know, I, I think, what it was, like I said, five years or so, whatever it was. Um, granted, his dad was the head coach, which definitely plays a role into that. But still, I mean, I, I get a top 50 offense in there, and that's probably, I mean, they're an 8-4 and four team year in, year out, no matter what, and their offense is terrible. You get a top 50 offense in there, they're probably pushing 10 wins a season at this point. And then going into the uh, the Big Ten Championship with it, at least a very much of a, uh, a very much of a chance to beat Ohio State or Michigan, whoever's coming out of the, what are the, the East, I guess, the Big Ten East. Uh, in that side of the conference. And then I, again, next year they're getting rid of divisions anyway. So whoever the top 10, 10 or the top two teams in that conference are end up going to play um, in the conference championship. So that'll probably be Ohio state, Michigan, but even um, even if, with Iowa pushing 10 and two or whatever, if they have a top 50 offense, um, they could push for one of those top two spots. I would not be surprised by that at all. Would not be stunned by that. Um, but that is not going to happen this year. I don't think that is not going to happen this year. And uh, it's a tw- it's a thirty one and a half point total over under uh, going into this game uh, against Northwestern, and that is going to be my poo poo garbage. No good game of the week. That's a lock. I'm I'm going to put put that in Sharpie that that game is going to be poo poo. No good garbage. Just put it in Sharpie. It's going to be terrible. It's probably going to be my pick, and I'm pro- it is going to be my pick. It's probably going to be my post pick as well afterwards, where I say, hey, this was the poo poo garbage. No good game of the week. It's probably going to be that game. If it's not, I will be stunned. But because I'm putting it in Sharpie, probably not going to be a good game. Um, okay, let's, uh, move on. We're going to talk NFL next. Hello, my friends and fellow confidants. It is time now to hear a quick word from one of our sponsors, Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Now, look, I may have a bit of a hot take here, to be honest with you. I think there is no better way to watch a game of football, especially professional football, maybe even college football, than the comfort of your own home with your big TV, your own personal snacks. You know, you don't have to go to the concession stand to get a $9 hot dog paired with a $7.5 water. No, you can have your own water. You can make your own hot dogs at home and you can just sit there on your couch and watch football. You can't do any of that, though, without a home to do it in. And Jack and Kathleen Wood are the people to do it with at 307 Real Estate. They can help you at both buy and sell property that you are looking to list or purchase in the Sheridan area and beyond. They have been part of this community since 2004 when they first moved here. And ever since, they have been working to better the community and make it a more beautiful place to live. They are both ambassadors with the Chamber of Commerce, so they know this community like the back of their hand. So they are the people that you're going to want to talk to for all of your real estate needs, whether it be buying or selling. You've all heard the slogan, call Jack, get ready to pack. And you can call Jack at 307-763-1249 or Kathleen at 307-461-7203. That's Jack and Kathleen Wood at 307 Real Estate. Big thank you to them for sponsoring the show. All right, NFL. Uh, I want to start with the, to me, the biggest news of what happened this weekend, and that was 
Oh yeah. Listeners, you know what this means. Oh my god, I love this song. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We had a score of Yes. A score of Cowboys beat the Rams 43 to 20. Cowboys beat up on the Rams. I thought the Rams were gonna be better than that in that game. Uh, but they won 43 to 20. That is the first time that score has ever happened in the NFL. And uh, that means we celebrate with a little French romance jam. French romance is just like the, it's kind of what this is under. I don't know why. This is like French club music or something. I don't know. I, I imagine eating a baguette while listening to um, a pop jam when I hear this. But it's a jam, especially for Scorigami. And we love Scorigami around here. <laughs> Oh, yeah. All right, anyways, we always root for Scorigami on this podcast, period. No questions asked. If you're rooting for any team, of course you want to root for your team. No problems there. But no matter what the score is in that game, who you're rooting for, if it's your team or not your team, we always root for the Scorigami. We want something that's never happened before to happen every single week. That'd be fantastic. It makes it unique every single week in the NFL. It almost never happens, but we've had a lot this year, to be honest with you. We've had quite a bit that have happened this year. Um, I think we've had three, is that right? Two or three, maybe four. Maybe I think we had two in one week, if I remember right. Um, But yeah, just always root for Scorigami, ladies and gentlemen. Always, always root for Scorigami. It's the best way to watch football. Just watching football, and you're like, ooh, that's kind of a weird score. Interesting. I wonder if that one's ever happened before. And there's a good Scorigami page you can follow on Twitter. They'll let you know the percentage chance of them getting a Scorigami. This one, once it starts getting in the 70 percentile, you could see the people start freaking out. You're like, oh my God, okay, don't jinx it. Nobody jinx it. We could have one on our hands here. Um, and we did. 43-20, to 20, Cowboys beat the Rams. It was um, a bad game by the by the Rams. I was very disappointed in that game that the Rams... Uh, I thought the Rams were kind of sneaky good, to be honest with you, heading into that game. I thought they were going to play better than that, and they just get demolished. That defense, I never had a whole lot of confidence in, to be honest with you, uh, outside of Aaron Donald, obviously. Um, but they played pretty well all season, and then go into, go into Dallas and just get demolished. And now I'm kind of back to like, okay, this is going to be a, probably a, a 7-9 and nine team by the end of the year, probably less than that 6-10 and 10 team by the end of the year. I wouldn't be surprised. And I think Matthew Stafford's got a chance of being uh, – put on IR as well, which will not help their chances, obviously. So um, I'm interested to see where they end up, but I, you know, I was disappointed by that game. And then the Cowboys, they just do, I mean, they're very good at home. And then when they leave home, it just feels like they're a completely different team. It feels like every, it doesn't even matter who they're playing. They can get beat by, they got beat by the Cardinals not too long ago, which granted Jonathan Gannon has that team playing. Um, I won't say better, but they're at least playing very hard for Jonathan Gannon, which is good to see. Um, That's always a good sign for a new head coach. If your team is playing very hard for you, uh, then at least you have their ear in the locker room at the very least. Um, but still, they're not a, like the Cardinals are a very good football team, and they were able to beat the Cowboys' transitive properties. Obviously, it's not all equal or anything like that, but the Cowboys have looked very good at home and then very mediocre on the road so far this year. Um, the other game I wanted to talk about, oh, man, if you were watching that Jets-Giants game, I feel bad for New Yorkers right now because it's a tough time to be a New York football fan. The Giants, they were living high, Basically 10 years ago, my voice just cracked. I apologize. Still a little congested, you know, still dealing with a little congestion. I apologize. Um, but they were living high. They were living high uh, 10 years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, about 15 years ago. Just beat 
the Patriots in the Super Bowl. That was 2007. And then they won it again. When, when did they win it again? 2011? Something like that? Probably something like that. Um, but they beat the undefeated Patriots. One of the biggest upsets in the history of sports in general. Um, as a wild card team. Living high as the Giants. And then go and win it again. Um, not too long after that. And basically since then. It's been a downhill sputter for the Giants. And then the Jets have just been, I mean, they've been the Jets for going on 40 years now. Mark Sanchez, one of the greatest QBs in the history of that franchise, which is saying a lot. I mean, that's that that's basically all you need to describe the Jets right now is one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of that franchise is Mark Sanchez, like the king of the butt fumble. Um, and then they put up an all-time stinker. They put up an all-time stinker on Sunday. The Giants, they... Uh, they had Tyrod Taylor. Daniel Jones has been hurt. Tyrod Taylor has been the starting quarterback who had a pretty good game the week before. Um, but then their starting quarterback in this game, he gets hurt again. Um, I can't remember what it was. It's something with his chest, if I remember correctly, or a rib, bruised ribs or something like that, which granted, if you're if you're Tyrod Taylor, dude, given the history that he has with that area of his body, I, dude, like you're just letting that heal naturally. Like, no, thank you. I'm okay. I will just lay in bed, drink soup, have some ramen, that sort of thing. Uh, look up. Tyrod Taylor uh, chest injury history and look up what happened to him because it's pretty crazy. Honestly, the only reason he lost his job to Josh Allen in Buffalo, granted it was going to eventually happen. That was one of the uh, top pick for Buffalo. So that was going to happen eventually. Um, but he was actually playing pretty good in Buffalo and then he got hurt. Um, I think a similar injury, like a, or I think it was like a punctured lung or something like that. So something pretty severe, um, but in the similar area. And then the doctor, um, who was supposed to work on Tyrod Taylor, if I remember correctly, punctured his lung again with the needle, but wasn't supposed to. And that basically set him out for the rest of the year and allowed Josh Allen to come in and take the job. And the rest was history. And uh, if you're Tyrod Taylor in the situation now, you're just like, uh, you know, I'll come out, I'll go out there with a, with a, with a bulletproof vest on before I have anybody trying to uh, touch anything with my, uh, touch a needle into my lungs ever again. Like I do not blame him whatsoever in that situation. Um, but look it up. I, I gave a very brief description of what happened, but look that up. It's a very interesting story. Kind of messed up for Tyrod Taylor, to be honest with you. Um, but very interesting nonetheless. Um, but yeah, they put up an all timer. He gets hurt. And then, uh, Tommy DeVito comes in, puts up a all time stinker at quarterback position. Granted, third string quarterback. Don't really expect a whole lot. I think everybody kind of goes into those situations. You're like, and I, I truly believe every every single person does this. Everybody has that their back or their starting QB, and then their backup get injured. But nonetheless, the guy that comes in, and you're like, "What if he's like Tom?" I, I think everybody does that. I, I'm I positive because I do that. When Kirk Cousins went down in that Green Bay Packers game, we got to saw Jaron Hall come in, uh, the quarterback from BYU. I think he's a rookie this year, maybe a two the second year man. I think he's a rookie though. Um, but when he come in, came in, I was like, "But what if?" What if he's like, what if he's like Tom Brady and he comes in, takes the job over for Kirk Cousins and becomes the new starting quarterback? It leads us to seven Super Bowls. That like that goes through my mind and it's idiotic and completely stupid. But of course, it goes through everybody's mind. Tommy DeVito, he left none. He left it up for no doubt, though. He came in. Giants fans were probably thinking to themselves, what if we get our own Tom? What if we get our own Tom Brady, who we've haunted over over the years? What if we get our own version of him? Tommy DeVito comes in. And he goes two for seven, negative one yard. It was a bad day. It was a bad day for Tommy DeVito. He uh, probably did not leave anybody thinking, yeah, we've got our Tom. Like, almost certainly not. Um, but, you know, third string quarterback, what do you expect, really? Um, and the Jets, they end up winning. By the way, he had negative one yard passing. The 
the Giants as a whole, with Tyra Taylor after he came out, or when he was still in the game as well, but as a whole, they had a total of negative nine yards passing. The lowest in NFL history. Negative, <laughs> negative nine yards total passing. They rushed the ball with Sean, uh, Saquon Barkley 36 times for 128 yards, which is insane. Uh, 36 times for a running back in today's age is insane. Um, but, I mean, you can't really blame him given what we saw. They only put up 10 points, and then they they probably should have won that game, and then they allow Zach Wilson to march down the field. A little bit of controversy at the end of the game there with the spotting of the ball and everything that allowed a game-tying field goal to be kicked within the waning seconds of that game uh, with one second, I guess, technically, with uh, one second left to go in that game. And um, the Jets pushing into overtime and end up winning in overtime as well. It was very... It was gross. It was This was a bad game. They had... Um, the, the, they had, I think it was, it was like 15 punts or something like that in the first half of that game. I'm going to look at it here. Yeah. 15 punts in the first half, in the first half, 15 total punts in the first half. It was disgusting. Great day for people that to play like with punters on their fantasy squad, which I've always wanted to kind of do, to be honest with you. Um, it's a great day to have a jets or a giants punter, like a great day. Um, but for, for everybody else that actually enjoys like watching football, tough day. Really tough day. Uh, this game was terrible. And it was raining and stuff. It was awful. Um, Will Levis had a very solid start. Uh, solid start. Solid start. I can't even talk. Will Levis had a very solid start. I want to kind of pump the brakes a little bit, to be honest with you. I don't want to be the guy that, you know, craps in the, in the, in the, what is it? Craps in the cereal? Is that whatever? Yeah, that's a saying. Um, he had a very good day. No doubt. A very eye-opening type of day. Um, but, you know, he's still very... We'll say he was throwing the ball downfield a lot, which is a good thing to see in a young quarterback. I think a lot of young quarterbacks like that don't really have the confidence when they first come in because they're scared to kind of turn the ball over and whatnot, uh, put it in harm's way. Um, but he was slinging it downfield. I think a lot of it had to do with, one, you got a, a fantastic receiver in D-Hop as well, but they were also scheming D-Hop open pretty easily, and the Falcons had really no idea what to do with him anyways. Um, but he was kind of, you know, F at D-Hop's down there somewhere kind of game. But he, he had a couple of very nice throws down the field as well. Um, but he did have a lot of behind-the-line-of-scrimmage type throws, at-the-line-of-scrimmage type throws. If you look at his passing chart and just rewatch that game, he had a lot of those types of throws. Um, and I don't want to say... I don't want to say he's going to be bad or anything like that because that was a very impressive first start for showing for Will Levis. Um, it, I would be stunned to see Ryan Tannehill come back and then take that job unless Will Levis does something catastrophically, plays catastrophically bad or anything like that. Um, but if he continues to play, you know, even half of that, I think they will continue to use uh, Will Levis from here on out. I think Ryan Tannehill's days in Tennessee are numbered at the very least. Um but, you know, pump the brakes just a tad, just a tad on. He didn't throw a lot of the intermediate throws that we're used to seeing on really, really, really good quarterbacks, um, like the type of stuff that Justin Herbert was doing at the, at the start of his career that we were like, whoa, oh, okay, that was a next level throw. Um, and he still does. Um, but the stuff that he did do in that game was still very impressive. Like, again, to have the confidence to throw down the field as a young quarterback like that in your first start um, and to hit, you know, D-hop on those uh, he threw a couple that were 40 plus yarders and ended up being touchdowns. That's very good. And a very good sign for Tennessee Titans fans to see. Um, but it's not a lot of the, like those throws aren't necessarily the most impressive in terms of deep balls. Um, just because it is kind of one of those things I'm expecting my wide receiver to beat this man one-on-one -on -one, and D hopped it at three, four times in that game. Um, I'll be more interested to see where he is in the intermediate, the field, the next few games, um, kind of slinging it over the 10 to 15 yard, uh, area of the real and a couple crossers or something like that out routes where you just have to put it in the exact spot where you can that sort of thing. And that's where I'll, that's, that'll be the more interesting, um, 
I think, evaluation of Will Levis. But again, very impressive day. Like, no doubt, um, one of the better starts for a career uh, as a quarterback that I can remember, Um, just as as your first start. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how teams, again, start to start to um, or start to practice against him, you know, start to evaluate him as he continues on again. You kind of have, I don't want to say you have an advantage necessarily as a first start, uh, but there's not a lot of film on you. They don't know exactly what you do incredibly well. Everybody knows he has a cannon, but you know, you kind of, it's different when you're playing in game versus when you see it on film, that sort of thing. Um, But now they're going to have film on him, what he's good at, what he's not great at. It'll be interesting to see how he adjusts in these upcoming weeks, Um, especially with Tannehill out. If he can play well, then, they might have Tennessee might have a dog on their team. Uh, by the way, those Houston Oilers jerseys, they are so good. They are so I it's kind of disappoints me that Tennessee gets them, to be honest with you, because like I get that the Oilers are Tennessee, like the Titans. They but the the I can't remember the owner's name, but he moved them out of Houston. Like it's not like they just became the Tennessee Titans. Like he moved them out of Houston because he didn't want to be in Houston anymore. He should they should have to leave that part of the history in Houston. Give it to the Texans. Like I don't whatever. Um, it's just kind of, it's weird. Um, yeah. Anyways, can we, I want to talk about Kyle Shanahan really quick because I watched that Jimmy G game, um, between the Raiders and the lions and Kyle Shanahan, that dude might be the greatest QB whisperer of all time. I'm, I'm to be honest with you, he, what he was able to do with Jimmy G and take that team to the super bowl with Jimmy G is truly unbelievable. And then to be able, once his contract expired, even though he had a pretty, like, easy, like, because Brock Purdy played so well at the end of that, uh, at the end of Jimmy G's last season, then he was like, I can't not pick, um, I can't not go with Brock Purdy in this situation, which is understandable. Um, but to also be like, yeah, you can go. Like, I'm not going to resign you. It's pretty heads up, even though that wasn't necessarily him, but obviously he would have advocated one way or another which one he would have rather had. Um, and the fact that he went with Brock Purdy, we'll see how that pays off down the line. Um, but for the most part, Brock Purdy has played pretty well so far this year outside of the last three weeks where he's been dealing with, I would argue, concussion symptoms since that Vikings game. Um, but I think a, a good stat to kind of quantify it um, since 2017, which I believe was when Jimmy Garoppolo was drafted or when, uh, excuse me, when Jimmy Garoppolo went to the 49ers, um, your top three quarterbacks in EPA plus CPOE composite EPA is um uh, expected points added. That's the, that's what it is. And then completion percentage over expected kind of a good combination to kind of understand where good quarterbacks are lying uh, in terms of what they're providing for an offense. Uh, your top three from 2017 to 2022, Patrick Mahomes, number one, Drew Brees, number two, and number three, Jimmy Garoppolo. Unbelievable. Like whatever Kyle Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan they better sign him the 49ers better sign him for a forever contract. Cause I truly believe at this point you can plug anybody in that system and they'll probably be like good enough to take them to an 11 win season. Like that's how, how good that offense is or whatever he's crafted over there. It's just an unbelievable. I can't, I can't believe how good, um, how, how good he got Jimmy G to be, or at least good enough to be. And then to see him now separated from that, to see how bad Jimmy, like Devontae Adams wants out of the, out of Las Vegas after, after what, eight games with, with Jimmy G at this point, he's just like, get me out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. Please let me leave. Um, and who's to blame him? Cause Jimmy G has been pretty terrible. And that game again, I'm winning that game on Monday was awful. Just truly dreadful. Um, I do want to start to wrap things up here, but I really want to, 
I want to touch on something really quick. We have some trades that are going on. Today's also the trade deadline for the NFL. We had some trades go th- trades go through. Um, big one happened as I came on here today. Uh, 49ers are getting Chase Young from the Washington Commanders. An unbelievable deal for the 49ers. I don't know what they sent. It was a third-round pick. That's what they sent to the Commanders. So for a third-round pick, they get Chase Young. Imagine getting Young. They have Young on the opposite side of Nick Bosa. And granted, Young hasn't been very good since he tore his ACL. What was that two, three years ago? Um, he hasn't really been able to bounce back as much as you would have hoped. But he's in a perfect position to be able to do it because... Um, you know, defenders or offensive linemen, excuse me, are going to have to uh, double team one of them. And if it's him, then Nick Bosa is going to feast. If it's not him, uh, then he's going to be able to feast. A fantastic trade for the 49ers. And that defensive line has only gotten better. One of the best defensive lines in the NFL just got uh, even better uh, with uh, the addition of Chase Young. So um, that was crazy to see once I, uh, once I started recording, I saw that and I was like, what, how, the rich keep just the rich keep getting richer. Um, we talked about Kirk Cousins; he tore his Achilles, so he is done for the year. The Cardinals uh, have traded Josh Dobbs to the Vikings. The Cardinals got a sixth round pick out of it, uh, and the Vikings got also got a conditional seventh round pick out of it as well, as well as Josh Dobbs. So we kind of get an idea of where the Vikings are go. I guess they're going to try to make a push for it. Um, it it will be interesting to see how far it goes from here. If it's just a one year type of deal, uh, and what they try to. Um, I don't know, extend outside of once if Kirk Cousins comes back. He's probably, I mean, after an injury like that, it'll be interesting to see what they want to do with his contract. I think it's up at the end of this year. Um, and he's basically a rental at this point. It'll be interesting to see what they do. And if they are just kind of in tanking mode at this point, but if they are in tanking mode, they probably wouldn't have traded anybody. So I don't really exactly know what they're trying to do. Um, he hasn't been, uh, bad by any means. Like Joshua Dobbs has been good enough. Uh, he kept that starting job at Arizona when it was kind of up in the year. Uh, up in the air uh, while Kyler, Kyler Murray was out. So that'll be interesting to see what he does with uh, Minnesota, which obviously a better team than Arizona. Granted, maybe not that much better, but better, um, a better team than uh, the Cardinals are. Uh, and the commanders also got rid of uh, Montez Sweat as well. So it looks like the commanders are in full on sell off mode, tank time. They're going to maybe push for Caleb Williams or Drake May at the end of the season. Uh, when it comes to draft time, got rid of uh, Montez Sweat up on the f- defensive line as well for a second round pick in this upcoming draft as well. Uh, so maybe it looks like they are trying to, um, they're hitting in, they're in tank mode at this point. They're trying to get as many asset assets off of their payroll to get ready for the draft um, and maybe they get more draft assets that they can trade, maybe move up if they're not in the uh, spot that they want to be in when they're trying to find maybe their next quarterback or something like that. So Trade deadline. I mean, there's probably going to be more once I get off and once I'm done recording this. So keep an eye out, ladies and gentlemen. I will be keeping an eye out, but you keep an eye out as well. We'll see maybe some bigger trades here uh, as we move along here today. We're going to wrap up with some quick NBA notes here next. Beautiful podcast listeners, James here. It is time to hear from another one of our sponsors, Alpine Climate Control. If you're a listener of mine, you know that Alpine Climate Control has been supporting the stuff that I do for a very long time, years now, and they are now officially sponsoring the Weekend Sports Wrap podcast as well. 
If you're looking for somebody to set up air conditioning systems, air conditioners, that sort of thing, Alpine Climate Control is the people to see. They also have air conditioning tune-ups. A good idea if your AC is not working properly, if it's not functioning properly, if you're standing in front of it, you're like, this should be a lot colder, and it's not, probably needs a tune-up. So check them out for all your air conditioning needs and AC tune-ups. They also have furnace systems and fireplace inserts. We are slowly approaching the fall months, and it is a good idea to get those things figured out and worked on now than as you enter the fall months. But they're creme de la creme, the cream of their crop, their specialty is their outdoor living spaces. They've got seating, fire pits, lighting, barbecue grills. If you're somebody that's like likes a little backyard barbecue, then they are the people to see to set you up. That's Alpine Climate Control. Stop by their showroom. They're on Coffee Avenue just before Sheridan College and a little bit after Starbucks or go online to alpineclimatecontrol.com and you can see all of their offerings there as well. That's alpineclimatecontrol.com. And again, big thank you to Alpine Climate Control for sponsoring the program. The NBA is starting their new in-season tournament this upcoming week. Group play is starting, uh, I believe, on Friday, actually. Um, And they released new court looks, I guess, for all of these, I guess, group stage games. And then once they get into actual round play, round robin play or whatever, not round robin play, I guess that's group play. Once they get into quarterfinal and semifinal play, um, they'll have these courts as well. And I'll be honest with you. I hate them. I hate the courts. I'm a wood grain guy, you know, hit me with the wood grain color, the key, you know, I'm all cool with that. The sidelines cool with that. But once you start coloring like the, uh, every other part of the court essentially, and then the, the key is also a different color and the inside of the three point line is also a different color. You lose me. Like you just lose me. I think it looks terrible. And all the ones that they released, the, the court designs that they released that they're going to be using for each one of these games, they count as regular season games and the regular season schedule as well as it's not that different different than um, like Premier League soccer or soccer overseas or whatever. Um, it'll count for group stage play and regular season games as well. So it'll count towards your regular season record going into the actual playoffs at the end of the year and group record uh, for the in, uh, the midseason tournament that the NBA is uh, experimenting with, which I actually like. I think it's kind of a cool idea. Um, it's to me going to, at least from the outside looking in, going to make regular season games at least look like they matter more. Um, it'll be interesting to see how much they care about wanting to win in an in-season tournament. I would imagine some, cause there is a compensation for it. You get a trophy obviously, but there's also a monetary compensation for it. Um, and I'm sure a lot of those veteran guys want to win games like that, or, you know, a, a championship like that, that is monetarily compensated for the younger guys on that squad, um, on their respective squads. So it'll be interesting to see, and maybe even a young squad that isn't getting paid, um, or the superstars not getting paid as much as, you know, the guys on the Suns or whatever is going to play harder uh, in those games than vice versa, which is also going to create inter- interesting situations. Um, but yeah, the court design, along with the city edition jerseys and designs, it's just been a rough, like, I guess, two and a half weeks for the NBA, to be honest with you, in terms of um, just designs in general. They've all looked really bad. Um, the courts just don't look good. I like the idea of the center court where it's the actual, um, I think they have the image of the team and the logo, like every other center court. And then they have the big trophy that they're all looking to win. Essentially. I'd like, I don't hate that idea. I think that's a pretty cool idea. Um, but once you start coloring the courts inside the actual court, that's when you lose me. You just lose me. All right. I think they look, they always, always look bad. I think wood grain looks better than ever. There's no better, court design that you're ever going to make than just straight up wood grain, wood grain panels on the basketball court. It's never going to look better on the outside or the key. You can have them colored, obviously no problems with that. But once the whole court is colored, like let's, 
Let's chillax there, chief. All right. We don't need to be doing all that. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for this in-season tournament. I, uh, some of the decisions like they're making, like with that area of, I'm like, okay, this looks ridiculous. Um, but I am, I am curious to see how it pans out. Um, and then we could have even deeper. Who's the best team of all time conversations. If, uh, you know, the the Bucks go on to win this in-season tournament and then win the NBA Finals. So they'll be like, well, guess what? They won two titles in one year. So best record in the East, two titles in one season, greatest team of all time. Like that's going to be, I, I promise you, that's going to become a discussion uh, throughout whatever, new uh, sports talk radio and everything like that. Um, so it'll be, uh, it's going to be fun to watch. I think it's going to be very cool. Uh, and I think a lot of these younger teams are actually going to be very feisty to try to win this, even though, you know, everybody wants to win the Larry O'Brien at the end of the year. Everybody wants to win the finals. No doubt. Um, that's all more of a legacy play. In my opinion, this is more of like a, Hey, you win this, you get, you know, blank amount of money and this trophy as well. Uh, and I think these younger teams are going to want to compete for that as well. I think you get, you get compensated monetarily as well when you win the NBA championship as well, but it's not, um, you know, it's not as open for parody as, um, as I would imagine the in-season tournament is going to be because um, it is all 30 teams competing in the in-season tournament, which is also pretty cool. Um, and the group play is kind of how they flush it all out. And then I think they have eight teams uh, that move on and then the quarterfinal, semifinal, and then the finals of the in-season tournament, I think are played in Vegas. So it'll be cool. I'm interested to see how it all pans out, how it looks. Um, I think the trophy looks pretty cool. Um, and I'm interested to see how the NBA thinks it goes and how it actually goes. Um, once it's all said and done, like one, cause it's all, it's one and done games too. They're not series. So uh, once you get into the semifinals, it'll be, you know, one game, whoever wins that game moves on to the finals, which I think will be cool. It'll, in my opinion, it should make the regular season games matter a little bit more. Cause those games will mean more. Um, cause they, you know, um, yeah, these guys are competitors. So they're going to want to move on in this in season tournament thing, win a trophy of some kind, win some sort of money stand uh, monetarily. Um, and, um, then look forward towards, the Larry O'Brien trophy, the finals, try to win a, a double at the end of the year. That would be very cool. Um, so yeah, courts look terrible, but the in-season tournament looks pretty cool. I'm excited for that. I think it starts Friday. Like the group play actually starts Friday. So that'll be, uh, it'll be interesting. We'll, we will see what happens. We'll see which team is going to come out victorious. It'd be really funny to see their first year of implementing the in-season tournament. It'd be really, really funny to see like the Knicks come out and win the in-season tournament or whatever or some other you know crappy team the 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 hornets come out and win uh the the in-season tournament that'd be pretty funny um all right that ladies and gentlemen is going to wrap up the show today i want to thank you very much for tuning in uh remember you can listen to this podcast wherever you get your podcast please tell your your friends about it if you don't mind uh tell them to go listen to it on their podcasting platform of choice leave a rating uh and uh we'll see you next week talking more of whatever we want to talk about. All right. This is the Weekend Sports Wrap Podcast. I've been your host, James Timberlake.